The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It also is the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, their headquarters. Thrilled to be here and share that space with them. We have got an amazing show for you. We're going to be with you live for the next two hours. In our first hour, we have the wonderful amazing expert in the field of autism, Dr. Doreen Grampiche, for a segment that we call Ask Dr. Doreen. She's gonna be answering your questions in real time in just a few moments. In our second segment, in the second hour today, we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. My good friend and colleague, Nancy Allspaugh-Jackson, will be joining me during that hour, our special guest uh, for that hour. And of course, I misplaced his name, Sean Sullivan, isn't it? Yes. Uh, thank goodness for Samantha to keep me on track. Sean Sullivan, who is a young man who is on the autism spectrum, who is a speaker now, but was diagnosed as having severe uh, autism as a child, was terribly bullied throughout school, and he's going to be here to tell his story about how he made progress, how he, he overcame the bullying, and now is someone who is an advocate, a self-advocate, and speaking out for others. So that will be in the second hour. We also have a lot of news to cover. Uh, during that hour and included in that, we'll be talking about the confirmation hearings yesterday for Betsy DeVos for the Secretary of Education and some troubling um, statements that were made and some of you already had written into us and said, are you going to talk about this? Well, you know we are. So that will be happening in the second hour. But the entire program always is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts. We want to know your concerns, your questions. And now that we are on more platforms, there's more ways to do that. So Samantha is going to remind you of some of the different ways that you can participate with us. We are, of course, all, uh, always now on Facebook Live in addition to everything else. And I want to remind you that we still have our homepage, which is autism-live.com. When you go there, lots of things to do. Um, you can be watching the live show, watch the most recent 100 episodes. But there is also on that page something pretty significant. It's called our live feature. And I know you can write in questions on YouTube. You can write in questions on Facebook. Um, but if you want to be anonymous, and sometimes you do want to be anonymous, the best place to go is on that homepage, autism-live.com. You put your cursor in the box that says your question, you type, you hit enter, and it shows up on our screen. Um, but we don't know who you are. And for a lot of people, that is a consideration. So I want to let you know it's totally free, uh, totally anonymous. Um, 
And even if you're watching the recorded show, you can type in there. Make sure that you reference what's happening in the show because we it doesn't give us a time marker like it does on Facebook that I can look up and go. When somebody says something at 2 minutes and 41 seconds on Facebook, I can look it up, not on the live feature. So uh, definitely let us know what it is the question is in reference to. All right, my friends, I do want to remind everybody uh, that I've got this orange thing on the front of my head and people are uh, <laughs> talking about it and going, oh, is she having a midlife crisis? Well, yeah, maybe, but that's not what the orange thing is about. Um, so if you're just tuning into the show and wondering what this is about, we did a video in December. As you know, we have a, a new president that's being sworn in uh, just in a couple of days, uh, two days from now. And we have not had a definitive autism plan from that president. He's still not in office, but we'd, we'd love to hear one. And we wanted to remind Mr. Trump, President-elect Trump, how important it is. Uh, our research tells us that even the most conservative estimates say that 2% of the population is on the autism spectrum. And that's conservative, folks, 2%. And when I say this to people, I don't especially people outside the autism community, you say 2% and they go, okay, well, 2% doesn't strike us as being a great deal. So we dyed 2% of my hair orange um, for Mr. Trump and in a video to say 2%, you can't ignore it. It makes quite an impact, doesn't it? Um, and I'm going to keep this 2% of my hair orange until one of two things happens. Either it completely grows out or when we hear on the day that we hear from President Trump, which is what he will be at that point, that he has an autism plan and it's written down and it's on paper and released to us in the public, I will, on that day, I will take a pair of scissors and hack the orange out of my hair. That's what we'll do. So um, that's what that's about. And uh, remember, 2%, you can't ignore it. That's our hashtag. All right, it's time, though, uh, to get to one of my favorite times of the week, Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We welcome Dr. Doreen Grampiche to the show. Good morning. And I was saying how lovely you look today, oh, as you. always. Uh, no, uh, uh, to be as intelligent as you are, as kind and considerate, and to be as beautiful thank and to have so. a fashion sense. Thank you. So. Just making us all look bad. What did you call me? A fashion I, I maven? said she's a fashion maven this thank morning. Thank you. That's what, I, that's what I said, and we had a, quite a discussion about that. Um, I look like I've been hit by a tomato, and I'm on my way to a funeral. But let <laughs> counting, right? No, no. Uh, in any case, uh, for those of you who are new and have not seen our show before, because each show now we're getting more and more viewers from That's around awesome. the world that are new. We have Mexico watching this morning. Shout out to Mexico. Um, Dr. Grant Pichet is a true expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in our time, and there is no other time for autism. So that's of all time. Uh, she has been working in this field for 30 years. Uh, I hate to call her out on it because her, her, her skin says otherwise. Uh, Actually, you know what? Next year it's going to be 40 years. Is it really? Next year. Okay. Well, is that then right? I have to, yeah, I think so. Then yeah. I have to stop mumbling yeah, my 30 crazy. because it's, it's, a, it's a huge accomplishment. Thank She's been you. working in this field um, with all 
areas across the spectrum, you know, from babies to senior citizens and getting amazing, amazing results. So we're thrilled that we have somebody of her caliber to be much. with us for a week, uh, every week for an hour to answer your questions. A lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's great uh, and it's very exciting. We, we can't possibly get to all of the questions uh, that come in. So, right. you know, we try to do as best as we can, but don't, don't hesitate to ask your question again. If we don't get it in this week, feel free to put it in. I really try to pay attention to that. Um, and, and we always have a question at the start of the show that comes in before the show uh, as a kickoff. So feel free to send your questions in all week long. In fact, I want to get to our first question here. Oh, I have to give the disclaimer first. There is no expert in this field who could give individual specific advice in this format, even uh, Dr. Doreen, because it would be a disservice to the folks on the autism spectrum to think that just through a few lines in an email that we could have enough information that even someone of your caliber could, could give individual specific advice. So this is meant to be a jumping off place right. where we can pick her brain and get to know uh, what it's like to know as much as she knows without having to take a trip around the world or a trip around the internet. <laughs> uh, even then we wouldn't get to it. So uh, in any case, we had a question that came in via email. And for those of you uh, who have a longer question sometimes who want to write in via email, you can send it to me, s as in sam, dot penrod, P-E-N-R-O-D, at autism-live.com, because then you can write to your heart's content. Yes. And this is a longer question, and the parent gave me permission to shorten it, but I feel like there's some really important stuff that a lot of parents are going to relate to here. Great. That's really so I'm going I'm to try to get to most of it, and it's got some backstory. She says... My son is three years old, diagnosed with autism. He's currently receiving 13 hours a week in-home ABA therapy and has two therapists that alternate days. These therapists have been with my son for a year now, so I'd like to think that they know my son very well. My son has been in ABA therapy for two years now, and I thought that I understood the approach and technique behind ABA, but the past two months has me questioning probably, she says in um, parentheses, overthinking too much, what exactly is done and why. My son is doing so well, progressing and just flying through any goal that has placed. He had met all the goals his ABA company placed and then they did an assessment on him and came up with more goals, demands that he needs to meet. Anytime in the past, my son was fine with this change up and flew through it. This time, they're a little more strict with him in terms of pushing him during the sessions until he gets something right, making him stay in one room for two to three hour sessions instead of him being allowed to change rooms, uh, instead of him being allowed to come see mom when he asks to or go outside for a bit. He has a token board and the therapist asks him what he would like to work for, which is usually his iPad. And when he gets five trucks on his token board, he gets his iPad. He's struggling with some of the demands and goals being placed. They ask him, who is holding the block? To which he replies or repeats, holding the block. Then they say the child's name or I'm holding the block. Every time he will just repeat holding the block. And when they try to correct him, he gets frustrated and has a meltdown. His meltdowns are usually uh, a hysterical cry, like a sad cry. He cries hysterically when he's pushed, um, and in his eyes, he's answered the question right. He cries for mama, but I'm not allowed in there. They only want to, me to be a part of therapy for a few minutes each day. So I end up sitting on my hallway floor, sobbing, 
while listening to my child scream hysterically, see mama over and over again. My question is, should ABA therapy be this hard, let alone for a three-year-old child? I know there will be tears and sometimes it can be rough. I've dealt with my fair share already, but every single day and all through the session like this, a friend once told me that good ABA is fun for the child and will seem like play to them. That's why I'm questioning this. If what's being done is how it's supposed to be, then I'll keep going. If it's not, then I need uh, I need to know so I can speak up for my son and tell them how the session should go. It seems like a waste of a session to me when a child cries for two out of three hours that they're here. If they tried and my son tried but it isn't getting it, shouldn't they come back to it the next day instead of pushing and telling me he's completely frustrated? Or is that the point, to push him to a meltdown so that they can teach him how to work through the meltdown? Again, I'm probably overthinking it, but that just seems like a lot for a three-year-old. She did go on to say that his therapists are very young, 22 and 23 with no prior experience uh, to their her son doing ABA with children as young as his son uh, or just doing ABA in general. And she says, because I've only been doing this for two years, it's still somewhat new to me and I have no idea what the right approach is. Can you please help me to understand uh, what a good approach to ABA would be and if it sounds like my son's, son's therapists are doing ABA the right way or if it needs some changes. I'm in desperate need of your advice. I don't know how much longer I can go through this much stress just from one session or sit around the corner for my son and just lose it listening to him cry hysterically, see mama, see mama. Thank you so much for taking the time to read my questions and concerns. And I just think, you know what, this is so... I, I did write back to her and say that we were going to answer the question today. And I said, I'm sorry that I'm making you wait to Wednesday, but I really wanted you to answer the question. But I believe that every single parent that has done ABA has had this moment mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't, I don't know. They're young. They're 22 and 23. Are they doing the right thing? Are they pushing him too hard? Am I being a bad parent for not sticking up? I don't quite get it. I thought I got it. I don't, you know, and, and we have this crisis in the hallway and we're crying. So I, I and, and this is even depicted on the A word. Yeah. It happens on the A word. Yeah. And and what I love, and then I am going to let you talk. Please. When I showed, I was watching the A word, that episode where the mom is standing in the hallway saying, I don't know, I don't know. And you do get to see what the therapist was doing so that you know what was happening. And I was watching it and my son came up and I was crying. And he said, what, what's happening? Why, why are you crying? Why is she crying? And I said, oh. Uh, because this reminds me of when you were little and I used to sit outside the door and cry. And, and so we started having a discussion and he said to me, oh, mom, I was fine. I was just frustrated. Mm -hmm. oh, that's so sweet. At eight, he said that to me and I shared that with the A-word mom because I, I would have paid such good money for somebody to tell me at eight he would just say, no, I was fine, I was frustrated. Yes, of course. But I know that there's a lot here. Right, So, and, and I want to ask you, do you remember what was going on exactly on the A-word scene where mom is sitting in the hallway? I know, exactly. What was um, going on? So uh, Jack Riley was playing trains, mm -hmm. and um, he wanted to lay on his side mm -hmm. to look at the train mm -hmm. because that's, you know, he wanted to look at it like this. And Jessica said sit right and mm -hmm. she sat him up to sit right and he you know was affronted by that and laid back down on the ground and she wouldn't let him so mm -hmm. she just gently said sit right. right and then he got mad 
and said, you know, he was two and a half at that point, and he and he so he got up. Mm-hmm. Like if he couldn't do it his way, then he wasn't going to do it. And he sat in the chair and cried for a half an hour. Right. And, so and mom was like, why couldn't, and that all moms go, why can't you just let him watch from the side? And they right. do explain in the episode why you can't let him right, watch from right. the side. What that will prevent him from being able to do down the road and how he's not going to get to side-by-side play with his peers and have friends if he's laying on the floor on the carpet. Well, right, and it's just, it is a self-stimulatory behavior. Yeah. Gazing and looking at things that, and that thing is, is a well-known self-stimulatory behavior. Yeah. So in that case, the ABA therapist is preventing the child from doing self-stimulatory behavior, which is a a symptom of autism. And and we always want to try to prevent those things that contribute to the child being more isolated. So that's why she's doing it. Now, this is a little bit of a different situation, and we need to talk about this. So there's a thank you for writing so much detail because it really does help me visualize the whole thing and and i might be able to give you some i will give you some advice for sure but and some of it you might want to think about some of the things through my answer basically so he's three years old and he's receiving 13 hours a week first of all 13 hours a week is not enough for a three-year-old that's my first piece of advice is that if he's three years old and if he's doing well which it sounds like he did really well for a long time, he should be getting 40 hours a week. I just, that's that. 13 is in the range of it doesn't work. Let's just be very clear. There's a lot of research that shows that uh, anything below 25 hours is very, is, it, it will help him to some extent, but it'll never happen, help him catch up enough. And it sounds like, and, and you know, when you're three years old, that's the highest point, by the way, which is at three, we should be hitting close to 40 hours because that's when your child's brain is the most flexible and that's when he's going to learn the, the fastest and most. Um, now, you've been in therapy for two years, maybe a little bit less because I don't think he would have started at one. Well, he might be about to be four. Four, right. Which would, that because I looked at that too and I was like, wow, Absolutely. You know, she started so therapy he, like, early. So you did start early still at two yes. even and he's yeah. almost four. And I thought that I understood the approach and technique. So in other words, in the past two years, you haven't really had this issue. So what, I'm, what I would like to ask you is what ha- changed? What I'm, and what I'm reading is this. My son was doing so well, progressing and flying through these goals, right? He'd met all the goals, and then they did an assessment and came up with more goals. First of all, I don't know what assessment they did with us. It never happens that you meet all your goals. Well, actually, let me take that back. Only when you're at the recovery stage, like when you're at the very, very end of intervention, is it possible for us that the child would have met pretty much all of their goals. We do an assessment, and the assessment shows very abstract new things that we haven't thought about, like inhibition, working memory, executive functions, various things like that that show through an assessment. But at three, it never happens that we finish all the goals and then an assessment comes in and says, oh, you didn't do this, especially something as basic as who. Um, So who should be already, that lesson should already be part of his curriculum. They are teaching that lesson incorrectly, by the way. I will get to that in a minute. But the whole section where you write, they did an assessment, they came back with new goals. I I wonder why that is. 
Then it says, any time in the past, my son was fine with this change up and flew through it. This time, they're a little bit more strict on him in terms of pushing him more during session until he gets something right, making him stay in the room for two to three hours instead of him being allowed to change rooms and come and see mom when he wants to go outside. Why? Why did they make those changes? It makes no sense to me because he was doing great. Why would you change something when everything's going great? There is no reason. This is not the military. We're not trying to break people, especially not three-year-olds. So there's no real reason. It doesn't. I can't think of a reason why they would want to not allow him his reinforcers. His reinforcers are mom and getting to take a break. Those are the things we teach our kids to be reinforcers. They should be asking for that. If you ask for something and you don't get it, you that request that behavior of requesting extinguishes, and he'll stop asking for things that are reinforcing. You don't want that. You know what my question was yes. in reading that? Because I'm hearing from a lot of parents whose kids are starting significantly before three. Yes. Um, and that their ABA provider is giving them like an ABA light when they're two. Uh -huh. Like they're not really following through on stuff because they're like, well, they're two, so they're not really following through. And then later on... But he was meeting his goals. I know. So it's not and like not only that, I mean, like, why would you set up a circumstance in which a child gets away with something and then, and later, then on later on take change it, it? Because anybody would be like, Absolutely. hey, wait a second, that's not how we do it. Absolutely. And, and the truth is, and I guess this is the, the overall answer, and then I'll go into much more detail, but the truth is we never... Uh, we never, it, there's something wrong with the program if the child is crying for two hours, if the child is getting having a meltdown. There is definitely something wrong if this was not happening and it just started to happen. Uh, it is not all, your assumption here of what ABA should be, and that's what I was, why I was asking about the A word and what was yeah. happening there. Your assumption is that they're trying to get something from him and it is he we need to work through this until he responds. That's not really how it works. We don't uh, we don't really want to kind of work our kids through the system so that we win. That's not really the point. If he's crying, the look at it this way, when he's crying and tantruming and screaming and asking for mom, there's a function. There's a function to that behavior. The question would, you always ask when there's a behavior that disturbs you, whether it's a challenging behavior or an upsetting behavior like this one, something that is not okay. You always ask the question, what is the function? Don't forget, that's your number one question. What's the function of this behavior? And you answer yourself by saying, if he could speak instead of crying, what would he say? Mm -hmm. And what he would say is, I need a break. I want to see mom. This is too hard. Yeah. right yeah. stuff like that now there's nothing wrong with that the fact that he's crying at very most at the furthest i can reach on on trying to say this is what they're doing is fine the furthest the, mo the at the very minimum what this therapist should be doing is prompting him to use his language instead of crying yeah in which case he would say I can't do this. I don't know. This is too hard. I want a break. See mama. He is saying see mama yeah. and it's being ignored. So that's where to me this is incorrect. Okay. Yeah. This is not the procedure that should be in place. Now I'll go a little bit further. Actually he's also he's getting his tokens. 
Um, and then they ask it, okay, so now the lesson itself, let's analyze the yeah. lesson itself for a minute, and, and I think that might give us a little bit more understanding. This is why I like, this is why at CARD we do clinic every two weeks, because sometimes there's a, and by the way, your therapists are young, but your therapists do what their supervisor tells them to do. It has nothing to do with the therapists being young. They're both doing it the same way. They're following instructions from their supervisor. Their supervisor should know better. A lot of people don't know this stuff because you learn ABA and then you haven't had the chance to apply it to a child with autism. And there's a, I feel like there's experience plays a big role in this. And you just have to be able to, you know, most likely your supervisor doesn't have children of their own. Sometimes when we're very, very young, we just push, push, push because we want the child to go faster and we don't really think, we don't remember all the things. So I'm not blaming anyone, but I'm just telling you there's a few problems with the way they're teaching this. So what they do is they will ask him who is holding the block. So I, I, I assume they will show him a picture of someone holding, oh, he's holding the block. And then they'll reply with holding, he will reply with holding the block. Okay, first clue here. Whenever there is echolalia, that means the child didn't understand. Okay, that's the rule number one. Echolalia means he didn't understand. This is echolalia. He's responding with the last portion of the SD, of the instruction. That means, am I supposed to repeat? Yeah. If I'm supposed to repeat, that's what I'm doing. Holding right. the block, he doesn't know what they're asking him. Now... Then they say child's name or I'm holding the block. So in other words, what they're teaching him is, and I don't know his name, let's say his name is Bobby. So they'll say Bobby holding the block or I'm holding the block, both of which are the wrong way to teach him. So that is the incorrect form of this particular lesson. The who lesson, which is part of a series of WH lessons that we teach, who, what, where, when, and so on, um, first of all, I don't even know if he knows what. What comes before who? They should be teaching what first, which is easier because it's prompted by the object being there. Once they get, so in other words, I'd say, you know, what is this? And the object is there and the child only has to say it's paper or it's pen, whatever it is. Who comes, when you teach who, it's much, much, much easier if you use dim uh, two-dimensional stimuli first, which means pictures of people holding things because then it's the name of another person. When you start with, that's the first step. The second step is either the therapist or the child. You never start with a rotation, which sounds like what they're doing here because yeah. rotation, he doesn't have the concept of himself. I and you, I'm holding, you're holding pronouns as a whole are extremely confusing for our kids. I don't even know if he has pronouns separately. That's a lesson that should have already been mastered. I don't know if it has been. This, uh, this uh, prompt of the child's name or I'm is not a good prompt. It's really that simple. It is not a good prompt. The prompt needs to be in a visual format or he needs to know I'm and I am and you are. And by the way, he needs to know verbs for that as well. So pronouns have to be done first. The um, actions have to be done first. What needs to be taught first? When who is taught, it needs to be done with 2D rather than 3D first. There's a lot of errors in this order of what they're doing. That's causing him confusion. There is no question he's confused. He's not having a tantrum because he doesn't want to respond. He doesn't sound like a child who has a hard time doing lessons. He's responding. He just doesn't know the correct response. 
that's frustration. That's not challenging behavior. Challenging behavior is like, yes, this is a little bit hard for me and I don't want to be here, so I'm going to try to get out of the seat. That's not what he's really doing. Yeah. He's trying to respond. Guaranteed if they do a different lesson, he'll be fine. Right. So that means he's not trying to avoid therapy. He, it sounds like he's just getting frustrated with this lesson, and that's called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness is pretty much the last thing you want for your child because what they learn is no matter what response I give, I'm helpless, I lose. So there's no way for me to earn my reinforcer, so I give up. And that's what causes the children to cry, 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 and be upset, and then just basically ignore the person or not want to work with the person. Now, all of that said, <clears throat> you said, my question is, should ABA therapy be this hard? No, ABA therapy should not be this hard. It is hard because we have to place progressively higher and higher demands, right? Because you start typically with a child who's um, just due to the diagnosis, everybody's left the child alone and allowed the child to do their own thing. Over the course of time now, what happens is we're trying to get the child to acclimate to their environment, to learn from environmental rules, to abide by whatever is going on. And that means abiding by rules, by doing what society expects. So when I want to teach a child, you know, which child do you think would prefer to be in tutoring or learning sessions all day as opposed to playing? No child. Autism or no autism, no child. Every child prefers to play, sleep, eat, do all the things that are uh, natural and fun. No one wants to sit there and learn a new language, and that's what your child is doing. So as a result of that, because there's higher demand, there has to be higher reinforcer than the normal environment. If we were to sit with every child in their normal environment and just keep pounding them with homework and stuff, they would never uh, succeed. That's our kids. When you look at typically developing kids, that's why they are always, like when you look at the kids in high school and when in high school it gets very, very hard for them and they start acting out, it's simply because the level of reinforcement hasn't increased uh, in correlation to the level of difficulty. They have tons and tons of homework, which they didn't in grade one or two, but they still have to do it. There's no higher reinforcement. That's why it becomes very important for teens to have additional reinforcers in their lives. Otherwise, they'll go and find them in the wrong place, you know? And so I think what's happening with this child is he's just not getting an appropriate amount of prompting and an appropriate amount of reinforcer. E everything becomes easier. Like, as we increase demand, we increase prompts, obviously because it's a new lesson. Correct prompts, not confusing prompts. And then we also increase reinforcers. And that is what helps the child succeed. Modeling is the first prompt, and then gradually you reduce the prompt. You always start out, no matter what phase of the lesson, you always start out with a very easy instruction and a ton of reinforcement. Over the course of time, you reduce the reinforcers, and you increase the demand, and you reduce the prompts. Initially, it needs to be easy for him and highly reinforced. I don't know why they changed their tactic with this. I can only guess they just don't know how to teach this lesson. And this has become a hard lesson and they don't know what to do. Here's what I recommend you do. Get on skills, go on our skills for autism website, just go try to uh, do the sample. I think they still have a trial period. 
if you want to go in there. Actually, I recommend you do the, just become a member. It's good for you because you can track all this stuff going forward. And go in there, answer the questionnaire, which, which is long, but your child is young, so it shouldn't take you ages, but it's lots and lots of hours of answering assessment. Once you're in, go to the language section and look up the WH questions lesson, and you'll find the lesson written out in exact detail, what they should be saying, the types of prompts they should be giving, what is the response, teaching like different points that will help them in teaching, and that's how they should be doing. And that, that's basically it. You just, they need to make the prompts more clear, increase the reinforcer, and uh, that's it. Now, this whole thing that I said ha is very specific to what you wrote. That does not mean that in the future, every time he cries, you should run in there and try to rescue him. Because running in there and rescuing him teaches him not to trust them and that only you will be the one that will actually respond to him. And it also teaches him that crying is an appropriate way to call you. We don't want that. We want him to just say, they should be teaching him, I want a break. I want to see mama. And they should give him breaks when he does that. And they should allow him to see you when he asks for you. But nevertheless, he can see you and then come back and continue doing the lesson. It's really that simple. I so appreciate you saying that because I think that's confusing for a lot of parents about, you know, do I, when yeah. do I interrupt? Right. And I was always told you don't. Ask questions about it when it's over. Right. Give them the benefit of the doubt while they're, while they're doing it. But I do think it's important for us as parents to learn because one of the things that I learned that helped me so much is that, you know, what you were just outlining about how we kind of move the goalpost and move the goalpost. But when it ceases working, mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're making it harder and harder and harder and it stops working, you get to a point where the child isn't progressing, you go back to the last Thing that you were that's doing right. that that's worked. Right. That's right. And if you and if you have multiple days and multiple sessions where they're not doing that as a parent, we need to key into that Absolutely. and ask why not. And I'm really sensitive to this. I don't, there's this whole series of experiments in psychology called learned helplessness, which mm -hmm. was they were trying to uh, kind of figure out how uh, hostages react to various things, and they basically took uh, they took very intelligent dogs and they trained them to uh, press a lever whenever they saw uh, a circle. And if they pressed the lever whenever they saw a circle, they would get a food reinforcer. And if they pressed the lever whenever they, got a, whenever they saw a uh, very long uh, shape, like a long rounded rectangle, but very long oval shape, then they would get a electric shock. So that was the punishing reinforcer, which is called an S-delta, and the, this was the reinforcing stimulus, which was the SD, the mm -hmm. discriminative stimulus. And what the, and the dogs learned this instantly, right? Very smart dogs like Dobermans and so on. They learned this kind of thing very fast. They would never press the lever to receive a shock. They right. knew to avoid that. Then what they started to do was to uh, alter the shape very slowly, alter the shape of the circle so that it became slightly longer and up to us, and the oval became slightly shorter. And up to a certain point, the dog could still discriminate, and there was no problem. But it got to a point where the circle had become close enough to the oval 
that it was confusing for the dog and they never knew which one to press. So no matter what the dog did, they would get a shock. And it became very, very aversive. And guess what the response level was? The response level wasn't that they would continue, they just stopped, stopped responding. And that is basically what happens with, that's why with prisoners, hostages, et cetera, because you learn something, which is a rule set, and then they take away, like you said, they move the goalposts to the point where the rules don't make any sense anymore. I mean, that's a very drastic thing, and I don't want to compare it to what what your child's going through or scare you any further than you already are. I just want to say that, you know, sometimes your child's crying because despite everything being done right, the demand is high, and the child, as a child, doesn't really want to work. That's fine. But this does not sound like that. What it sounds like is that the child has no way of figuring out. Uh, You know, I would be totally fine if they didn't allow the child to leave the table, but they prompted him a lot correctly so that he would get one correct response, you know? But it doesn't sound like they're giving him a a, a prompt. I'm not sure how he's supposed to figure this out on his own. Yeah. That's what the problem is. Uh, And I love the quote that, you know, when, when teaching isn't working, it's never our kid's fault. It's always time to it's look at the teaching or the absolutely, teacher. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you have to realize that it, you can do, they can do a million things. They can increase the prompts, they can increase the reinforcers, they can yeah. reduce the sessions, they can actually allow him to have break time. Yeah, lots, lots of, of different stuff. things. I want to take a break, but before we go to break, I just want to mention some of the different people that are writing in um, for different places. Albert is writing in from London, Ontario, Canada. Um, Erica is watching from Monterey, Mexico. Uh, Yasmin is watching from Longview, Texas. We had Helen, who's watching from Liverpool, England. We've got we've got the whole world That's watching here. You know, um, you know, my husband. Uh, Greg is from the London, Ontario area. He's from Cambridge. I did not know. How about that? So hello to uh, Ontario. And Stella says hi. And she also wrote in and said, I wholeheartedly agree. Kids therapy should be towards the fun end of the scale. Life is stressful enough. Thank you, Stella, for that. So we're going to take a break. As we go, I came finally in the mail. The thing that NASA gave us came. Oh, my gosh. How beautiful. Isn't this wonderful? Absolutely. That they, they gave this to us. It says, Autism Live, thank you for capturing and sharing NASA, it's work workforce with your audience, your friends at NASA Johnson Space Center. That is uh, so we got we got to put this up on the wall. So thrilled! They, it kind of got lost in the mail. That's so But nice. it finally finally made it here. So we again want to thank everybody at NASA at Johnson Space Center. We had such a good time. We've got video of us with Temple coming soon. Uh, but first, we're going to a break, and then we're coming back with more of your questions for Dr. Doreen. Stick with us.
Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampiche and she's answering your questions in real time. We're thrilled that we are on Facebook Live on a regular basis now and have so many viewers who are writing in and telling us where they are from around the world. Don't forget that you can write in questions on our Facebook Live. You can write in questions on our YouTube channel and you can write in questions on our live feature which is at autism-live.com. Uh, that the autism hyphen live is the one place to go if you want to write in and be anonymous. Um, and you can also send your that that question that we just answered came in via email. You can if you have a longer question, uh, you can and you want to remain anonymous or not, you can write in to me at s dot penrod p e n r o d at autism hyphen live dot com. Okay, I want to continue on with a question uh, that came in on our um, homepage autism hyphen live dot com. What would be your advice for someone who received different diagnoses? My son was diagnosed at the beginning of this year by different doctors. One said autism and ADHD. The other said something different. I can't re really remember something about speech pragmatics. And so lost, he is receiving OT and speech therapy at school, and it has helped tremendously. Well, you're asking a behavior analyst, so my response would be, you need behavior analysis. <laughs> so, I mean, speech, I'm glad that he's doing well with speech and OT. ABA is just more intense. Uh, applied behavior analysis is going to be more intense, and it's going to help your child catch up a little bit faster. If he, if it's, if someone gave him a diagnosis of autism and ADHD, and someone else gave him a diagnosis having to do with pragmatic speech, uh, I would say that he, I'm guessing, I'm inferring that he must be uh, pretty high functioning, um, and would really benefit from advanced programming using ABA techniques. So I would recommend that you look online. Um, our we have a website for advanced cognition skills advanced cognition mm -hmm. do you know is that what it is called you know yeah, if you I go on the so. skills websites i think or I you have just my little tent right skills is our curriculum it's skills uh, skills for autism.com if you go on there and then i would go uh from there you can find the advanced cognition curriculum Advanced cognition is for our very, very high-functioning kids who need help with things like social cognition, understanding other people's perspectives, executive funct functions like planning, being flexible, uh, knowing how to set goals for themselves, uh, knowing what to pay attention to, those types of things, the more advanced skills, social skills, and so on. And it sounds like that's the kind of stuff that your child might benefit from you'd want to do that kind of content using ABA techniques. And uh, e even uh, as well as behavioral techniques, maybe even some cognitive behavioral techniques, but I would recommend doing that because the sooner our kids learn, the better. Uh, you know, speech and OT is usually done at pretty low intensity, and if that's helping him tremendously, wait until you see what ABA can do. So I would highly recommend you try that. Absolutely. And of course, you will need a diagnosis of autism in order to do intensive ABA because then you will get insurance coverage for it most likely. Otherwise, uh, it's not one of those things that you want to pay for privately. ABA needs to be done you know, at least 10 hours a week for a child who's very, very high functioning, and that can become costly. 
My question about this is because, you know, they got two different diagnoses. And so when, whenever you got two different diagnoses, that sounds to me like somebody doesn't want to pay the bill. Oh, so, I see. Um, so my question is, did the one that's about speech pragmatics come from the school? That's possible. That's very possible. Or it could just be two different uh, psychologists who are confused because the child's so high functioning. Okay. See, I get a lot of people coming to me for second and third diagnosis because when the child becomes high functioning, when the issues start to be more pragmatic speech, okay. people don't know what to do with that. Okay. They don't realize that it's what's classified as a level one one on the autism spectrum. It can very well be. But you know, most like physicians or developmental pediatricians won't know autism that well. They'll think of autism as a much more severe thing. I see. And we do have kids who are very, very high functioning, but they still classify for an autism diagnosis. Okay. So it could be that, or like you said, it could be uh, a school district who's trying to divert you and not fund it. And, and if you've got one doctor who said autism and ADHD, I just want to point out, you said as a behaviorist, you were recommending ABA, but you know, that is the gold standard. It is the gold standard. Of, of treatment for autism. I'm not aware of a single study that says doing speech and OT at school will make a substantive difference and take your child to a different level of functioning so that their diagnoses could possibly be adjusted. Right, in fact, there's a lot of studies that show that it won't. Right. So yeah, there's tons of studies that show that just doing speech is not enough. Right. So, you know, so the, I, I, yeah. love, I love your candor about saying, well, I'm a behaviorist, so I'm going to recommend behavioral intervention. But that is but, what you But beyond, do. I mean, there's right. no question. The science is there to say that, you know, you, you, need, do that. you need good quality ABA. And I, and I also want to just throw one more thing out there, which I don't want to confuse things more, but, you know, the, the, the ability to diagnose autism and ADHD together is just something that came about approximately three years ago. Yeah. Before that, we were not allowed to diagnose ADHD if we gave a diagnosis of autism, and I think there was good reason for that. It is very difficult, and I've been diagnosing for many, many, many years, thousands of kids. It is very difficult to separate the symptoms of ADHD from autism. When you have autism, uh, you have, as part of autism, you have a little bit of attention deficit. It just is a natural pro. It's like, and, it, and it's much more pervasive than ADHD. So it's very hard to say, oh, you have ADHD and autism because one kind of overshadows the other. I guess it's possible to do it if your child has ADHD of the hyperactive type, mm -hmm. because not all children with autism are hyperactive. ADHD is two types, either impulsive or hyperactive or both. Um, and so if you're very, very hyperactive, but very high functioning autism, then it's possible to give both diagnoses. But, you know, when I read all of what you've written, it just gives me the impression that your child is very high functioning. And perhaps the person, the people giving you the diagnosis didn't know really clearly. But as Shannon said, if you have any like if you're even on the border of autism, there's no nothing better than to do ABA and get your child uh, to help your child get over whatever deficits or problems they have. I would go even further. You know, since ABA is something that's used universally by corporations and by Olympic athletes, and you Absolutely. know, I mean, it's 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 been shown to be the most effective teaching tool. 
ABA would benefit any of our kids, absolutely any of our kids. If you have an autism diagnosis, you're entitled to get it with funding assistance in almost every place in the United States. So fight for that. Fight And if somebody gave you a diagnosis of autism, it's going to give you a ticket into a room to get some help for, that would be good for any child. Right. Don't get caught up in this, well, does he have autism? Does he not? Just go, ooh, I got some help. I got a gold right. ticket. I'm going to take advantage of it. Right. And then move, move, move. Exactly. Um, that's my no, <laughs> less finesse, but I'm like, you know, say, I know it's the reverse of what we think we want when our child is born. Like nobody goes, oh, I hope I get an autism diagnosis, right? That's Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this week we're we're commemorating that it was 11 years ago that we got the diagnosis, and I remember how devastating it was. But when I think back, getting that diagnosis on that day started us on a path where we got all the help and support that we needed. Absolutely. So I celebrate that we went through the motions, and so somebody gave it to you. Use it as your your golden ticket. I want to I want to talk about a couple of things that are coming in on the comments. Uh, Pandacom wrote it in, said hi. I have mild autism, and I love this channel. We love you back. Thrilled that you're here with us. Uh, Marilyn wrote in and said, I wish uh, the ones working with my child were this knowledgeable. But that's why we do this hour so that people can learn. And we welcome therapists um, to be able to uh, pick Dr. Grandpache's brain as well. And there, are, and there are lots of things that you can share with the people that are working, um, you know, share this channel with them. They Definitely. can ask questions. You can share skills with them. You can share IBT with them. Absolutely. The Institute for Behavioral Training where they can learn how to, you know, be more Technique. knowledgeable. And I want to say on that front, as you're doing that, Shannon, that I think it is really valuable for our families if they learn the techniques themselves. Because... You know, as a parent, it's pretty scary that when you see your child just crying continuously and you don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I'm a behaviorist. I've been doing this for almost 40 years, and I used to question my own techniques with my children. You know, I'd be like, am I doing everything right? Why is she still crying, you know? Yeah. So I completely understand how it feels as a mom, and I, it, it, it's very empowering if you do go on the Institute for Behavioral Training which I think is ibehavioraltraining.com. Yes. And you go to the parent section and you learn all this stuff because this is stuff that it just becomes second nature to you and you'll be it'll be easy for you to understand when something's being done right or wrong. Yeah, if you like what we do here, which is like glossing over the top of things and That's you want right. to delve further in, you can do those trainings at ibehavioraltraining.com and they're really inexpensive. And, oh, yeah. And I know everybody goes, well, you know, I say to somebody, oh, you know, something is inexpensive or somebody says that to me and I'll go, how inexpensive? And they go, it's only $3,000 and I go, ah, that's expensive to me. <laughs> These are $7.50 some yeah, of them. So yeah. I think we can all agree that that's in the name, that's, a, that's less than if you went Absolutely. to buy a book, a, a soft cover book. So. Um, and then Marilyn, for I don't know if this is the same Marilyn, said, can you define, it is the same Marilyn, can you define high-functioning autism? Because yes. we've been using this term yes. um, during the last hour. And thank you. For, that's a great question. I love how, I love having interactive, even when I give, yeah. even when I do conferences and there's like 100 people in the room, I always want interactive, yeah. which doesn't always work out the best, but it's really great because you just make sure that people are involved you know it's fabulous so and I shouldn't really I mean I use it for the for the purposes of of being short and and concise and getting to the point but um, autism is a huge spectrum as we all know uh, on the one end of the spectrum I suppose there you know severity of autism will 
Um, okay, so here's how I'll answer this. There's a, there are children who are very severe and then there are children who are very mildly affected by the symptoms. There's two main areas right now, according to the diagnostic criteria now, there are two main areas of deficit that are involved with autism. One is the sensory, the, what we call social communication. So that involves all of the social areas and language. So communication, also nonverbal communication, so eye contact and so on as well as all the social things that go, can only develop once we have a certain amount of communication. So social communication has been joined into this one domain. Then the other area of deficit or, or strength is the area of self-stimulatory or repetitive stereotypical behaviors. The, the, and those could be things like anything that isolates the child and strangely enough under that classification we also now have sensory regulation or dysregulation so basically in order to get a diagnosis the child we look at symptoms in those two areas we look and see that oh okay so the child is delayed in language is delayed in social skills and then also oh, the child has some repetitive behaviors or has sensory dysregulation, and yes, you have both of those areas and you have enough symptoms in each area, then you have a diagnosis. Now, the good thing with the new system is that it allows us to rate you from one to three on the severity of each of those domains. So in social, uh, in social communication, let's say if it's a child who's very, uh, only has issues with pragmatic speech, that means social language, like understanding if someone is saying something in a ironic way versus a real way. Understanding when, let's say, people are laughing with us versus at us. Those types of subtle things, if that's their only problem in the social communication domain, then I would rate it as a one, which means this individual requires minimal support, okay? On the severe side of that, the same uh, area would be a child who's nonverbal, has absolutely no language yet, no ability to socialize yet because they can't communicate, and that would be a three. On the other domain, the other area, which is sort of the stereotypic repetitive behaviors, you could have a child who, for instance, really likes to keep their things in a specific order, and that might be a one. Um, versus you could have a child who is has a whole ton of self-stimulatory behaviors, you know, uh, lines up objects, turns the lights on and off, has repetitive echoing and speech, and that would be a three. So uh, you can have a combination of those two numbers. So you could have a child who is a one-one. That would be what I classify as very high functioning. You could have a child who's a three-three. That would be a child who has the highest level of severity in both domains. Or you could have various combinations. You could have a 2-2, two, two, you could have a 1-3, a 3-1, a 2-3, and so on. And these classifications allow us to kind of, this rating scale allows us to identify the, it, it gives you at least nine combinations of the severity of autism that the child has. So literally, when I talk about high-functioning kids, I'm talking about kids who are e either a 1-1, one, one, I feel, um, or yeah, probably just the 1-1 one, one group or maybe even a kind of 2-1 or 1-2, so kids who are very mildly affected by one of the major domains. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot, so yes. I'm glad that somebody asked for you to define it, but I, but I do want to point out to people that 
a lot of people say high functioning and their criteria is heaven only knows what. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like, yes, yeah. absolutely. Because, yes, you're totally right. I, I see a lot of parents when they come to intake, uh, when I first do their initial evaluation, will say my child is very high functioning. And then when I see the child, I'm like, no, the child is pretty autistic. Yes. So it is a very subjective, for me it's not that subjective because I diagnose, I rate kids and I'm a professional and I see kids a lot so it's easy for me to kind of classify that way. It's also very important for me because I'm very data driven and I'm also a behavior analyst. It's important because the goal is, you know, these numbers are not stable for life. They're very fluid. So the goal for all kids, even if you come in as a 3-3 child, the goal is for me to get you to 2211 and then out, right? Yeah. And as soon as you are 10 or 01, you no longer classify for autism. So let's be clear on that. And yeah. you can go through life having slight social oddities, but nothing else. You can go through life perfectly well. Uh, still being a little bit obsessive compulsive, but nothing else, you know, right. so not needing that support Exactly, and these numbers have to do with the level of support. Thank yes. you. That's very very important a 3-3 means they need the most support That's what it's all about. So yeah, it's it's a very subjective term. I appreciate the question It's a good one, but I appreciate you saying that too because I think a lot of people don't understand that that your ability to be a different number is fluid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole thing. You know, it's funny you say that because back in the 80s or so, my mentor, Lovos, uh, wrote a paper and it was all about the permeability of IQ. Because back then, it was like a big deal that we were saying, hey, we are changing IQ intelligence quotient scores, IQ scores for our kids. And everybody was like, are you crazy? But the truth is, that's the whole goal of ABA. And I'll go through this again. ABA, you know, when we measure IQ intelligence, what it is is your mental age divided by your chronological age times 100. So my mental age would be, let's say, 53, and my chronological age is 53. So 53 divided by 53 equals 1 times 100 makes my IQ 100. 100 is normal IQ. 15 points below it or above it is also normal IQ. So 85 to 115 is normal IQ. Now, if a child has, let's say, a mental age of five, <coughs> but their chronological age is 10, then that produces the number 0.5 times 100, then the child's IQ becomes 50. Mm -hmm. 50 is a very retarded number for IQ. And as your mental age increases, as we teach you stuff, your mental age goes up, your chronological age is going up too, but hopefully you're learning faster, and so your mental age eventually catches up. That's the whole goal, is to get your mental age to catch up to your chronological age, and the minute that happens, your IQ is normal. And that's what good ABA does. It doesn't just eliminate challenging behaviors, it teaches you everything you didn't learn at an earlier stage due to whatever isolation you were in or whatever was causing you, your senses, poor instruction, your whatever it was that wasn't getting through to you. 
And so it is flexible. I want to just Absolutely. address because you used a word that I'm sure a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, she used a word, uh, the R word. Retardation, uh, but, yes. But it is, uh, the, uh, one of the things that we've talked about this before on the show, although there is a movement to not use the word stigmatize, it is a word that exists in the dictionary and has a meaning to it. Oh, that was a medical well, term. And absolutely. so I just want to point out that Dr. Graham Bichet was using it as the medical term yes. for it. Because a lot of times people have people a have a lot of emotion around it. it. And we yeah. don't, as, as providers and as professionals, we don't because it is MR, mental retardation, is a diagnostic term. Yes. And really all it means is that your IQ is lower than a certain number. Now, there's several levels of MR. Um, retardation can be very slight, in which case you are considered borderline, uh, or it can be very severe. And that's another one where you really, it, it helps us identify the level of support an individual needs. If you have very severe retardation, that means you're scoring below 30, you really seriously need a lot of support in order to be able to cope. Um, you know, and I, I'll just go ahead and clarify this one more thing as well because I know that people with autism or parents of children with autism are pretty uh, um, sensitive to this world, word and they have very good reason to be sensitive and that's because many years ago, Shannon, you know, like when I first got involved with this in the 70s, people used to equate autism with yes. mental retardation. Now, mental retardation is, is a, a disorder that exists with, in conjunction with other things um, and, but, and or on its own, right? And the MR can exist on its own or it can be as a result of an injury or it can be as a result of a congenital injury or it can be a result of various other disorders. Now, with autism, what the, I, I believe the reason there's sensitivity is that Historically, people used to think that children with autism have retardation. Yeah. And that is absolutely not the truth at all. In other words, and I've been a big, big proponent of making the world understand that because you know we were one of the earliest organizations that started measuring mental age using nonverbal tests. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, early on when children with autism were given IQ tests, the same that we're given, these tests are language normed tests, like I give you instructions verbally. So it's not really fair, it's kind of like someone measuring my IQ in Chinese. Exactly. Right? I'm going to fail. Right. I'm not going to know what you expect of me, not because I can't do it, just because I don't understand it, just similar to the other example we had given. So a lot of our kids were being scored as mentally retarded, and when you look at when you, at the same child, you give them a nonverbal IQ test, tests that are made for hearing impaired children, and you give that, and they're, now they're scoring 30, 40 points higher. Right. So you know that our children have this raw intelligence. There's no question. They just can't express it because they don't have the language yes. to let us know. Now, and the language, of course, delay can be caused by many other things. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. I want to make sure our viewers know that I'm one of those people that strongly believes that children with autism do not necessarily struggle with retardation. And I also want to make sure everybody knows that uh, the word is really being used as a um, diagnostic term and not something that should offend anyone. I hope absolutely. it doesn't. And I apologize to everyone because we've gone way over, yeah. and I apologize to you because I know you have always had meetings, Sad. and I've, I've, I'm, I'm so sorry. I want to uh, thank Samantha because now that she has us on Facebook Live, it's a lot more exciting for well, her. Well, and I thank her as well. And I do want to say uh, as we leave this that Logan Shepard wrote in and said that he was watching, and he said Aww, hello to you. Say hello. And, uh, absolutely. Well, you can.
again, he's watching. Hi, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> we love Logan. And Marilyn said, thank you, I have hope again. And honestly, that's what this is that's all, all about, that's Marilyn, right. sending you a hug. All right, we have, to, we have to go now take a break. I believe we're, we're either going to the A word or Logan Shepard, one or the other. <laughs> and uh, when we come back, we're going to start a little bit late, but Nancy Allspot Jackson is here. It's time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy and our special guest, Sean Sullivan. So stick with us. more on his own even just when I attempt him by just holding the object not necessarily asking him to imitate more he, cat, that's right he does do it on his yeah. own now which is really cool Huh? Touch block. 
Good job. What is it? What is this? Block. This is his receptive labels, so what I just did basically. And um, our supervisor had written down things that's in his environment that he might not know or that he might know the labels to or if he's just seen it or heard um, the label for it, not necessarily know how to say it per se. And um, I, I just went through block, guitar, bear, um, plane, cat with him. And so he actually knows all of them. So I'm actually going to go through his environment just to see other things like shoes. He actually knew almost everything on here except fork, I think. Yeah. So that's actually really impressive. You amaze me every day, kiddo. We're taking a walk. We just finished dinner, getting ready to go to bed. But part of our after dinner tradition suddenly has been take a walk. Make sure. Say, come on, Mama. Come on, Mama. Right, Jack? And now we say, stop. Go. Go. Stop. Go. Go. So we're practicing our stops and goes. Good stopping. Go. Stop. Go. Good stopping, Jack. Stop. Go. Go. Good stopping. Good job, love. Look at me. <laughs> Say bye-bye. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm thrilled to be nice here with you. Nice to be here with you. And uh, the orange hair is, I know. everybody's, it's growing on everybody. I don't know why. It looks like I've been hit in the head with a tomato. Tomato. But for anybody who isn't watching, this is a message. 2% of the population is on the autism spectrum. So we dyed 2% of my hair orange as a message to President-elect Trump because we do not yet have an autism plan from this administration. We're asking for one. And so I wanted to call attention to 2% is How much big bigger is. than you think yeah, it is. It, it is. has a huge impact. 2%, you can't ignore it. I'm going to be keeping this until we get an autism plan or until it grows out, right. one or the other. Right. Um, and the day that we get an autism plan, because I'm going to be positive assumptive that we are going to get an autism plan on the day that we get it, and there's a piece of paper and it says the autism plan or something like that, I will take a pair of right. scissors and hack the yeah. orange out in front of all of you. Have you tried tweeting him since he's such a big Twitter I have not. I will admit that I have not tried yeah, tweeting. Yeah, I think you should what tweet What we should him. do is tweet the, the we, I th we may have tweeted at him the video that we did okay. to him. Okay, you I'll should tweet the that. video. I'll, we should because tweet Because he seems like, you know, since he loves social media so much and Twitter so much that that might get his attention. It might. Um, and in fact, uh, we, we for the for the start of the show, we have a bunch of in the news for right. you, but we wanted to get started because we have a guest and we're running a little bit late because I ran over with Dr. Grampache. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to first address um, some things that happened yesterday because as you know, there were um, Senate confirmation hearings mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them are happening at the same time. But mm -hmm. yesterday, Betsy DeVos was uh, being questioned. Yes. Um, she is Trump's nominee for head of education. Yes. Everybody should know and, that. Um, and it was very interesting. I got to see bits and dribs and drabs like a lot of you. I did not get to sit and watch it right. end to end. And but she I is a billionaire. 
Yes, you and I were talking about that, about what must that be like. A billionaire. And I never want it to be that we hold it against somebody. No, 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 no. You know, if they have money or their family had money or whatever If people have money and they use it for the public good, that's fantastic. Those are the, that's Absolutely. But there were some troubling things that came up in this hearing. hearing. And and I want to say this, that in watching the hearings, it's I think it's a really uncomfortable process you know you're grilled and you know you're sitting there and you're and and it's you know people trying to get you to say something or to trap you to say something it's not something that I would want to sign up no, to do it Let's doesn't look comfortable at all but um, then things get said and then people you know talk about it and it becomes a big deal um, but my my whole thing as we talk about this is that I firmly believe that there's two types of ignorance and what like none of us can know everything right how could you possibly know so. everything I can't know everything I don't no. expect anybody to know everything. Of course not. so there's you can't. we're all ignorant to some things right so there's mm-hmm. ignorance just by nature and then yes. there's ignorance by choice mm-hmm. and ignorance by choice is the one that I have a much harder time with because if I have the ability to find something out and I and I am expected to know it and I choose not to then that is ignorance by choice and please before anybody says you know I'm throwing rocks there are times when I have chosen to be ignorant by choice um, you know I think we all do but if you are trying to be confirmed for a cabinet position yes. in 2017, um, I think that choosing to be ignorant about the subject that you're supposed to know about, probably not the best choice. So in this case, the subject being? Betsy DeVos, yesterday, when asked certain things, about, showed, showed some ignorance. Yes, she was, she was grilled about, by Tim Kaine who was the vice presidential nominee, as everybody knows, Yes. and rapid-fire questioning. And he was very polite with her. I watched the clip. Yeah. Um, she did seem to demonstrate a startling lack of knowledge of the, the biggest major federal civil rights law of those with disabilities. She did not seem to understand that it is federally mandated. Yes. And so we're um, talking about IDEA, I-D-E-A, yeah. yes. um, and you know, Tim Kaine was asking her questions about, uh, you know, did she think that it, it should be in public schools, private schools, and she, there was an answer that she gave for a lot of things. She left up to the states. She left up to the states. She kept saying. States. It was sort of her, her yeah. it, you know. She was never, she, they kept saying, is this a yes or a no? She would never say yes or no. Yeah. He would say, so are you saying that so some states might be good to kid with disabilities and other states might not be so good and then what people can just move around the country yeah. if their kid don't like how their kids are being treated and to that question she said it should be left up to the states he said i'd like to get a yes or a no from you you're not under oath i mean you're not in a, it's not a court of law right but you are trying to get our votes my vote and i want a yes or a no it should be left up to the states. It should be left up to the states. So Senator Maggie Hassan, who's a Democrat from New Hampshire, who has a son with a disability. I wonder if he has autism. I'm curious. I, didn't, I don't know. Yeah. be interesting to see and maybe get her as a guest on this yes. show. She challenged DeVos to explain whether she understood that the law was a federal civil rights law. She was very pointed in, you do understand that IDEA is a federal civil rights law. And DeVos said she may have confused it. Yeah, and and here's my thing about that, is that we can go, okay, well, she got confused. But because she is a billionaire, and because it's been 
it's been weeks since she was announced as right. the person. She choice. had time to prepare for this. She could have afforded to pay anyone to get her prepared. To brief her. And when we look at this, an 11.1% of our students here in the 11th, so this is 2%, y'all. Right. You can imagine what that, what that hair would look like with 11. Considered special, We're talking almost the whole front half right, of your head. Right, are, are yeah. considered special education, and there are nine million IEPs in the United States. I I really have trouble with the fact that she was not prepared on that yeah, question. I agree. That to me suggests ignorance by choice. Mm -hmm. Um or or she honestly didn't know that there are that many people um that use this particular law with 11.1%. But even that, I'm like, if you know that you're preparing, wouldn't you take the time to you find out? You would um, so whoever prepared her should be fired. And um, I don't know. It, it reminded me of, of so many things that I uh, that I was like, ah, that's not a good sign. Right. No. No. <laughs> not so a good sign. So we'll have to see. And, and I was also disturbed by the fact that she would not say that, that she... That she would not defund public schools. She declined to say that. Right. That was disturbing to me. Right. There were other things that she, when she, uh, for those of you who are interested in watching, Google uh, when Al Franken was asking her questions yeah. and she couldn't, he tried several times to get her to see the difference between growth and pro and uh, proficiency, and she wasn't getting it. And if anybody, any any of you former teachers, not understanding the difference between growth and proficiency is huge. Yeah. Huge yeah. lack of preparation. Right. Disturbing. Okay, so on that, we, um, I believe we're going to take a break. We are going to take a break, and then we're going to bring our very special guest, guest, Sean yeah. Sullivan, is here with us. And uh, he's a young young man on the spectrum that yes. has some interesting life experiences to share yes. about his challenges with uh, living with autism and overcoming many, many, many obstacles. Including and, bullying. And talk about bullying yes. as well. With him. All right, so okay. we're going to take a break. Okay. Stick with us. Sounds good. What would you do if your child was hurting? If your family's future was uncertain. If help seemed out of reach. Have you been given no hope? Talking means I am not alone in this. This is the reality for families affected by autism. And today, the number of children with autism is growing more rapidly than ever. Talker unites these families and shows that they do not have to fight this battle alone. Our oldest son, Jared, who has autism, um, when we first um, took him to the doctor to get the diagnosis, you know, it, it's so sad because they offer you nothing. There's no help, there's no hope. One of the things that you learn with autism is being very grateful for even the small milestones. You know, when you first get the diagnosis, there's, you go through all the range of emotions. You know, this can't be happening. Why is this happening? You have to get to a point where it's the emotion that has to be leading is, what can I do? The first thing that struck me was walking to a room and seeing, oh my gosh, we're not alone. And there is this very strong community that's already set. And something I still today associate with Taka the most is hope. To me, that's what Taka means. Taka means hope. like you've got all these dreams and goals of what your son's gonna do and you get your diagnosis and you're sent home and that's it. 
there's no plan of action, there's no, here's autism, here's what we're gonna do to make your life better and help him. It's strictly go home and try to process it and go on the internet. It was devastating and you just, you know, you go through this three week of depression and then you snap out of it, you have to. And then you start making phone calls and trying to figure out what is autism and what are we gonna do? And then we found Taka and it was life changing. Autism, there really is no definitive answer. It is trying to find the, the resources that are out there that can assist you to help your child so that you, know, you just don't feel so helpless at those particular moments. There was direction and there was hope and there was a little ray of sunshine that he's gonna be okay and we're gonna be okay. I always look back and think we would never be where we are. Carson wouldn't be where he is at without Taka. So 13 years ago, my son was diagnosed with autism and that put our whole family into a tailspin. There were so many different ideas and things that were not proven. Nobody knew what, to, what guidance to give us. We had no direction. And then we found Taka. They helped give us a path to follow, help give our son a better future and make him healthy and put him back onto to the road of recovery. When your son's first diagnosed, the first thing you hope for is, gosh, I just want my son to speak. I just want to be able to communicate with him in some way. Then you want a little more. You want him to go to a regular school. Then you want him to potentially have a real life and go to college. So you're always hoping for the future of your child. My son is a happy, healthy, vibrant young boy that's gonna turn 15 really soon. And we couldn't be more pleased. And without Taka, I don't think we'd be in the place that we are today. We believe the future is not defined for many affected by autism. There is hope and direction for these kids and their families. Taka is dedicated to providing community, support, education, and hope to families affected by autism. At Taka. At Taka. At Taka. We are families with autism helping. Helping. Helping, helping families. Helping families with autism. Hi, my name is Matt. I am 19 years old and I was diagnosed with autism when I was six years old. Autism is one of the fastest growing developmental disabilities in the United States, but I am living proof that with the right treatment, hope is possible. My future is not limited. Today, I am attending Fullerton Community College and I run for the cross country team for fun with my friends. It makes me feel proud when I think about my progress. Chances are you know someone affected by autism. Show them they are not alone and help others get on the road to recovery. Contribute to talk about curing autism today. Welcome everybody to our 5K, 10K run and uh, family festival. So the act today for Military Families Run and Festival uh, is a race that benefits military children with autism. 
So we help um, a lot of the families around the country whose parents serve in the military. I'm um, an autism mom, but also a military wife, and I'm so excited to be here at ACT Today's sixth annual run. I've never missed one. It's something that really helps this situation. It's fabulous because there's no other organization like it. San Diego has some of the highest concentration of military in the country, if not the world. And uh, a lot of my friends are military and are affected by autism dis disorder. And so for me, to do some little thing to the people that protect our freedoms is important. It's hard enough to parent a kiddo with autism. Can you imagine parenting a child when you move on average every two years, you have a parent member deployed or in training? Our kids don't like change. These kids are subject to constant change. Name's Tom Leahy. I am president of One Hope Wine. We are the title sponsor of uh, the sixth annual Act Today Family Festival. Uh, we have been the title sponsor every single year, which we're very proud of. We've worked with Act Today for nine years, which we are also very proud of. My name is Megan Martin. I'm a licensed and certified genetic counselor at Lineage Inn. We provide genetic testing. Lineage and are strong supporters of all families with autism, but particularly families in the military. stationed here at Navy Information Operations Command, San Diego. I am a first class petty officer and um, been here for three years so far. This event is important to me. Uh, growing up in a family, my baby sister has uh, Down syndrome. And just living through that and being 17 years older than she is, understand the importance of family, understand the importance of how everybody is important to what we do here, not only in our country, but what we do throughout the world.
And we are back, and I want to say that the, the next run is on April 15th. Yes. And we want people to go on our Act Today website to register. Yes. Okay. And everyone so, can run, even yes. if it's virtually. Yes. So make sure that right, you do that. Right. So now we are back with our guest, Sean Sullivan. Hi, Sean. Good to have you here. Hi. It's, Hi. it's, it's wonderful to be on. Well, it's great to have you here. Now, Sean, you are a motivational speaker and a child mentor for individuals with autism, and you are on the autism spectrum. That's correct. Right, so tell us about what being, what kind of motivational speaking and how, how you are a child mentor. Absolutely. Um, so to, to start off this conversation, I think it's important to mention that I, I refuse to let my disability, autism, to define and control me. Um, I control and define my disability. I control and define my life. Um, and with that said, um, that's the mentality that I have. And that's what I tell potential organizations that want to have me speak uh, and that's what I usually um, that's usually my, my sales pitch okay it, it, so I love makes, it it's a good you know sales what, pitch they, they call that I think I've heard it called an elevator speech <laughs> right yeah. that when you're in the elevator if you can tell somebody who you are and what you do so you refuse to let your disability define you you define it, which is, those are very inspirational words. So obviously when you do speaking, you are there to inspire. Correct, yeah. Okay, and, and this is based on your experience growing up with autism. Yes. And in fact, you've been quoted as saying that autism is your superpower. Yes, that's absolutely How right. How do you mean that? Yeah. What do you mean Tell by us. that? I mean that everyone who has autism for the most part is um, marginalized and um, not given a fair shake. Uh, and so I like to think of my autism as uh, a strength and I use my autism to which fullest and advantage mm -hmm. and I I believe that I have 30 years of experience with autism because I have it. I believe that it's only when we experience things ourselves that we can truly understand and comprehend what that what your experience actually is. Absolutely. As parents, I think we always, 
you know, we want to know what the experience is of, of being on the autism spectrum. We're deeply, deeply curious. I, I don't know a single autism parent that hasn't said or felt at least once, you know, I want to get inside my kid's head. I want yeah. to understand. The but world. the truth of the matter is, is that we're never going to fully understand it. And that's yeah. why it's so important to hear from people like you and to have our kids hear from people like you who are on the spectrum and who are speaking positively about being on the spectrum. And you, in particular, one of the things that you talk about is bullying. Yes. You are somebody who experienced bullying and have, have lived to tell the tale and, and have some words and thoughts to say to younger kids about how to get through it. What, what kinds of things do you talk about with kids who are experiencing bullying? Well, for starters, I talk about not trying not to take it personally. Um, I know that's easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another thing that I try to say is the grass is green wherever you water it. Mm -hmm. uh, and what that means in simple terms is that you can either be unhappy and want to be someone else or you can make do with what you have and uh, tr try your best to not let the situation you're in defeat you. Uh, I like to think about it as never give up never give in and never surrender to difficult situations. Instead, make the difficult situations give up, give in, and surrender to you. How did you get that attitude, though? Because there are a lot of people that are watching the show and hearing about your accomplishments and seeing what an articulate, uh, inspirational young man you are. How did you develop that attitude? Was it something your parents developed in you or you developed on your own? It, it comes internally. Okay. Inside. And at what point in your life did you start seeing, because I know that you have said that with a lot of hellish hard work, sacrifice and dedication, you were able to go from being low functioning. I mean, we should say that you yourself say you were low functioning, having tantrums, not being understood, had a hard time making friends. Now you have your own website. You're, you've been a panelist, an autism self-advocate at big disability conferences. You recently won a beautiful, beautiful trophy, uh, a self-advocate award from the Regional Center of Orange County. How did this develop? How did you turn the corner, Sean? I, I just got sick and tired of being helpless. I got sick and tired of being unhappy. And I, um, uh, I waited until New Year's to make a resolution. Okay. And was this at a certain age, or it was about when I was sixteen to okay. eighteen. Okay. And I just decided this can't go on. Um, okay. I. But I must make a change, and so that 
that's exactly what I did. Okay, so you really just, this was something that happened to you internally, you made a decision emotionally and mentally that you were going to not be a victim anymore. Correct, yeah. Okay. It's a very powerful message and a message that you bring to people when you're speaking and when you're mentoring. If people are interested in having you come and to speak to their group or to mentor um, someone in their group, how do they get a hold of you, Sean, so that they can find out more information? Absolutely. So um, I ha I'm fortunate enough to have a, a website, mm -hmm. and so my website URL is I know autism dot org. A great great website. Yeah. I know yeah. autism dot org. And, well, we're, and we're, we're going to take a break and come back with your father. And, okay. And uh, and talk some more with you, this amazing, inspirational gentleman. Really thrilling to have you here, Sean. All right. We're going to take a break, okay. and we're going to be back uh, right after these messages. Stick with us. Nick was diagnosed with autism in 1994 at the age of four. He received five years of therapy from CARD that eventually faded out. Nick recovered from autism in 2001. This song I'm about to perform is by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. CARD helped many patients, myself, to recover to this level now. Cheryl and Mike's son, Jack Riley, was diagnosed with autism in 2010 at age two. He's been receiving therapy from CARD for a year and a half. Today, Cheryl, Mike, and Nick meet for the first time. I'm curious as to what you remember. I certainly remember pretty long sessions, and I'd be frustrated if I would make mistakes. I mean, I remember one time I had to count a row of six blocks, kept messing up. That was really difficult. No. I need it. I need it. At what point do you recall hearing the word autism? I was able to figure out what I was going through without anybody having to tell me. Our concern is if it's a big secret to hide. I don't know what, what we can say. No one say. ever told you, you just, you just yeah. discerned But the it. reason I'm comfortable talking about this is because I felt it. In therapy, I began, I certainly began questioning why you know, people reacted as they did based on what I said and did. Particularly because of difficulties I was facing in school, I just, it got to a point where I wanted to understand why it was. So I entered while still um, going through therapy and still showing significant signs of the mental condition. Even after I had improved to a significant extent, there were those who still gave me a hard time for it. Did it hurt your feelings when you were in school, the way it that did. kids... Oh, absolutely, because it was bullying, it was harassment. That scares us. That, they called me names. They, I was basically, when it came to sports and PE, I was usually the last kid chosen. Did yeah. teachers intervene? Um, fortunately, not really. I mean, it was just so hard for me to talk about it because of how ashamed I felt. You know, certainly the first few years of elementary school, I don't think I really had the most supportive teachers. I mean. I remember, I, my mom told me how my first grade teacher once said that she thought I had no chance of getting anywhere and going away to college and out of state and being the only person um, from my old school district has made a difference. It's just really improved my you social life tremendously because 
I got to be me because with nobody knowing about my past, I wasn't faced with these um, misconceptions and prejudgments. Do you tell people, new people that you meet? No, that's not the first thing I will ever No, I would hope tell. it's not the first and thing. And you know what? In most cases, I never do because while it's a part of my past, it doesn't define who I am. I mean, just thinking back, just thinking back to the very beginning, pretty much each episode, autism, what, not who. I want to tell you right now, though, uh, I'm so impressed with you. Likewise. I want you to know that. Likewise. I mean, um, your, your son really inspires me just good, as much good, because... Good, good. I'll tell you anytime. I, I adore him, and, yeah. and, and but uh, I'd be lying if I, I, I said it wasn't challenging. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, it's 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 cost me my 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 the stuff that uh, you know, like career things, mm -hmm. goals. I don't care about those anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I work at night. I'm tending bar. Mm -hmm. um, not that I'm too good for that. I'm just saying that's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I want him to have a chance. Right. And uh, you, you inspire me now. Thank you. If the feeling goes both ways. If the feeling's mutual. Before you leave today, we would like you to meet Jack. I would love to. This is Nick. Hi, Nick. Hey, Jack Riley. All right, should we try this? I'm gonna try to take a picture of all of you. One, two, and three. <laughs> Jack Riley, you rock. segment, we were talking with Sean Sullivan, who is an autism advocate, uh, public speaker, and child mentor. And uh, Sean, you're very inspirational. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, we asked that your father come on, because we're, we have this series, Autism Family Portraits, where we look at families and kind of see where they come from and where they're going when they have a family member with autism. So your dad, Craig, has graciously agreed to join us. And Craig, you, we're here now with Sean at age 30, but yeah. the last 30 years have been a long road. Well, you so, see the white hair. Uh, I see the white hair, but it's looking good on you. You wear oh, thank it well. You. Thank you. Um, it, okay, I think we're having a mic issue. Yes, we are. I, Got it now. Well, I'll Thank your you. Lips, I hope. Okay, I'm going to actually redo the intro. Okay. Um, so I'm sitting <clears> here <throat> with I'm sitting here with Craig Sullivan, who is Sean's dad, and as I said, we talked to Sean in the last segment, and we're going to uh, find out now the role of the family. We do a series called Autism Family Portraits, and uh, Craig. Tell us, Sean was diagnosed with severe autism. He was. At what age? Uh, I think it was around two or three. Okay. We had him into a hospital for two weeks to find out why he couldn't eat anything and why he wasn't, uh, didn't appear to be developing in the way we had expected, and that's when he first had the uh, diagnosis of okay. uh, uh, autism. When you think back, Sean, to when you were very young, like before you went to kindergarten, and do you, what is your memory of those years? Uh... I I felt like I was on a another planet. I I didn't belong. Uh, I couldn't make any friends, and I did not know why. And finally, I 
I discovered that I had a disability. Okay, so he was diagnosed by the school district? Or well, by... actually, his mother and I brought him in to get checked out privately. Right. <clears throat> and later, the school district uh, affirmed that diagnosis. Okay. And he was in the special needs program throughout his... Uh, throughout his school career. Throughout his school career. Okay. But he ended up with a high school diploma and uh, taking some college courses and has now entered into a career as a, an advocate for autism. And so how did all that come about? What are some of the things that well, the family did? You told me it <clears throat> takes a village, number one. It does. It takes a lot of people who love and care for him. It all started, I think, with his grandmother as our leader uh, who loves, uh, loved everyone and would right. forgive everyone and right. always tolerate everyone and always look for the good. And I think Sean inherited that more than any of the rest of us. I had a grandmother like that, too. Yeah. It's nice to it's think a, of those qualities. Uh, that, that she lives on in him. Um, right. I think the turning point was somewhere in his teens where we discovered... Um, Sean wasn't an autistic person. Uh, Sean was a person with autism, uh, if you understand my point. I the, the difference between those, those two perceptions are, uh, I think, the beginning of his understanding that he could actually use this as a, a tool, you know, the expression of uh, one door closes, another opens. Right. When he finally realized that this wasn't necessarily a disability, it was just another ability, right. one that he could perhaps take and use as a, as a tool mm -hmm. for strength rather than weakness, it turned him around completely. Were there any particular learning techniques or interventions or um, any therapies that you found to be most useful? Well, we've been through them all. You have. Uh, any parent listening to this understands that point. We've right. been through all of the therapies, all of the, all the medicines, and we've had successes and failures, and we've had successes that turned into failures. Right. Uh, nothing worked forever, and we were always looking for uh, the next level of intervention and therapy. I, I, there wasn't any one thing, Nancy. I think at the end of the day, I would counsel any parent to remember that you just never give up. Never, ever give up. And keep trying. And if it doesn't work today, uh, get up tomorrow and try again. So did you think, ever think one day you'd be seeing your son living on his own? Never. Never? Never. No. I, I mean, Not the, only the, living the on his own. The fact that he can live on his own, that he has a website, that he's a published author, that he's won Consumer Advocacy Awards, right. that he was on a podium with Temple Grandin. I mean, I would never have imagined any of that. Um, you know. How, what was that like for you, Sean, being on a podium with Dr. Grandin? It was sp spectacular. I, from 50 years from now, I would not forget it. Dr. Grandin is a big friend of this program's. Um, Shannon was just in, at, in NASA, at NASA with Dr. Grandin, wow. where she gave a speech, and they got a tour of NASA, and. Yeah. We're with all the scientists and astronauts down there. Yeah. Um, amazing woman, and she is also one that says never, ever give up. That's it. it as she inspired Sean, someday Sean will inspire others. Yes, and some days today. I can imagine that she was inspirational to you. Do you hope to be inspirational to others the way she was is to you? I hope to. Um, um, I will make sure that I realize that dream. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, we want to thank you for being with us today. You, it's been just a pleasure to have you, Sean. You. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. And uh, what are your what are your goals now, Sean? You've already you've been winning awards. You've been speaking. Uh, what what would you like to see yourself doing over the next you know couple of decades? Uh, so, one of my goals is to start a disability dating and social website. 
a disability dating and socialization website. That's an ex yeah. that's a good idea because there are a lot of people out there yeah. on the spectrum that yeah. want to meet people, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to keep that. We're going to keep watching for it. If you start it, will you come back and talk to us about it? Whatever you say. Okay. We're going to have you back when you get that up and running because I have no doubt you will. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to take a break. And Shannon and I will be right back with more of Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Thank you. Is that your smile? I've been looking at you forever Yet I never saw you before I beat your head As a celebrity, whatever that means You want to do what you can to get back The way I've always looked at it, I'm available, I'm going to be there And when you get there and you see what folks are doing and the lives that they're touching, how can you not want to continue to be a part of it? And for the first time, I am looking in your eyes. What can we all do to make a difference? Not only with trying to find a cure, but to help the children and the families that may not have the resources for these kids. When you're looking back at me, now I understand what... And none of us are doing that. But I think that we're doing as much as we possibly can. Because we all live in society. And the more we can all do to help society, the more it helps all of us. Yeah. And for the first time, I am looking in your eyes. And for the first time, I'm seeing who you are. I can't believe how much I see. Now I understand what love is, love is, for the first time. What is autism? 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 I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> trying to, uh, just, uh... Jeez, let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a big one, yes. Uh, autism, uh... Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. 
fun, joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. from Autism Live. And I'm Nancy Oswald-Jackson from ACT Today. And together we co-host Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And I'd like to thank Emily Goodwin for challenging us to the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Yes, we're thrilled to be able to show how the autism community supports the ALS community. So we're going to ask some autism activists to take the challenge on as well. Dr. Doreen Grampache, the founder of CARD and ACT Today. Matt Asner from Autism Speaks. Lisa Ackerman from Taka. Holly Robinson-Pete from the Holly Rod Foundation. Ariva Martin from the Special Needs Network. Scott Baddish from the Autism Society of America. Alex Plank from Ron Planet and activist Jesse Saperstein. And finally, Dr. Temple Grandin. You've been challenged! <laughs> That was a very funny day, fun day. Uh, I mean, it was freezing, but yes. it was a very hot day, thankfully. It was, it was really, really yeah. hot, and, and neither and we did it like on a moment's notice. We Somebody did. challenged us, yeah, and we did it on a moment's notice. We walked out to the balcony at the old. I think it was Matt Asner. I, it might have been, as it I recall. Been. Yeah, and um, it. Not, I didn't have makeup on. I don't think you had makeup on either. Right. And people are always shocked when they see me without makeup because I have rosacea and I have very, I look like I have a, a sunburn always. And people go, do you have a sunburn? And I'm like, no, it's just me. <laughs> I'm a ruddy person. And um, yeah, so, and then we were in the hot sun. Yeah. And then they dumped the cold water on us. And Boy, it was quite a difference. Woo! Yeah, 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 that was, was fun. That was, remember when that took off? I do. That was such a good thing. I do. I, I, I think one of the sad things about it is that a lot of people didn't send in money. It right. didn't end they up just making did ALS yeah. as much money as, yeah. it, you know, but they right. did, I think they made more money that year than they did any other they, they year. They did any what, other year. So. It wasn't what everybody right, had hoped, right. but, you know. Now, I, that family was delightful, Weren't the Sullivans. They? Yes, Sean Weren't and his dad. The whole family, and, his, and we his got mother, to meet the mom, His stepmother too. was here, and his, yeah, really nice people. That just shows you, like, he was diagnosed with severe autism. He was really not really really functional, and here he's realizing so many dreams for himself out there. And and said things that just uh, like lighten you that just yeah. are so. I know. I just we we have this conversation all the time about how people will look at our kids and they will make a decision. And then sometimes we get pieces of paper that say, oh, your kid is this. Which and I recently is, got. Your yeah. kid is never what's on that piece no. of paper. Your kid no. is never what the person, you know, your kid is your kid. It's right. not even what you think or what right. you want. Right. Your kid is your kid yeah. and your they kid kid. amaze us. Yeah. Yeah. If we if we allow them to, they amaze they us. They do, they do. And, and he's he was Sean is living proof of that. Absolutely. Now speaking of some kids, uh, we, there was a story about that we covered, a young man yeah. that we covered who was out running. This was in Syracuse, New York. New York a yes. young runner with autism who was you know I mean first of all. What an amazing thing that he was out there running and doing this. Doing and he's a marathon, an avid yeah. runner. At, yeah. yeah, doing a marathon, and. He was accosted, 
essentially. Yeah, he got off track of, he somehow he ran off course, which is a problem, and that happens with people on the autism spectrum. Right. I love that for, you know, a lot of the runs, you know, have the chip thing. You guys have yes. the chip so that they can track. Right. Um, you know, and, and we need to have more runs that are like that, but for some reason, this young runner got off the course and was running, had a number on his shirt yeah. and was running, and this... Yahoo, Martin McDonald. Sorry, Martin, I'm calling you a Yahoo. A Yahoo? What's a Yahoo? Uh, well, it's a nice way of saying idiot, okay. as my grandmother would All say. Right. An idiot um, decided that this youth who was running, who happens to be African American. African American. So we can we can assume we can make assumptions that he, there were assumptions. So the so the Yahoo was in his car with his wife who had a purse as you do when you're in a car, which is a moving armored thing, right. saw this young man running and felt that this young man was going to come and get his wife's purse out right. of his car. Right. So he basically... He he got out and knocked it knocked, knocked the young him, man dead, yeah, to the yeah. ground. So it's nice to hear that there, there was a lot of media attention around the case, and what he was sentenced to was three years probation, 80 hours of community service, and a five-year order of no contact with Chase Coleman, who was the young teen, yeah. the runner, who we are proud of him for being out there running. Yeah. And uh, for having a running career and doing this, and he who should was be afraid applauded. To run. Yes. Who should be applauded and was afraid to run after. So we hope, yes. first of all, that Chase is back out doing his running. And there were a lot of people glad. who offered to run with him, yes. which we which we applaud yes. that too. But we do want to say um, that uh, originally when this happened, his mother asked for there to be uh, charges pressed against yes. the Yahoo. Right. And initially, the Rochester City Court judge. Caroline Morrison declined to file an arrest warrant and asked the police police to gather more information. And while we appreciate that she asked for more information to be gathered, um, then there was a bunch of media attention and then right. suddenly there was an arrest Interesting warrant. Interesting how that happens. When we speak out as a group of people, sometimes we have the ability yes. to help somebody to have something that should have happened to begin with happen. Nothing like a Use little public outcry. Yeah. Okay. Um, Shannon, you brought this article to our attention, an interesting article in Scientific American about different tools that are now being used to help kids on the spectrum. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we've done a lot of stuff, and we're going to continue to do a lot of stuff about robots here mm -hmm. on the show, mm -hmm. but it's really significant that our kids who are on the autism spectrum like robots. We've only got one minute, so we're going to keep okay. this really short. Check okay. it out in Scientific American. Yeah, it talks but about robots, brain scans, and the, apps. Yes, all these things to be used for um, teaching, socialization, yeah. and that robots are doing more yeah. and more of that. And you would think that it would be weird, but it's not. It's actually a very good thing for them, and it's reinforcing right. for them, and they learn faster. So tell us about tomorrow, what you've got on the show. So tomorrow on the show, we're going to be talking about this. We talk about it every Thursday, mindfulness, but there's a whole new set of studies about mindfulness in the classroom, and we're going to be talking about that. We've got some very special guests that are going to be with us here in the studio. There is a special conference that's happening at the Agora Hills We Rock the Spectrum. Um, and we happen to know that We Rock the Spectrum we because uh, Wyatt had a birthday party there Wyatt once. Wyatt had a birthday party there. It was a and great, by the way, it's a great place to have a birthday party. It is a great place to have a birthday party, but they're going to have a seminar that's going to be there for parents about autism. And so we're going to be talking about that. We've got the owner of the We Rock the Spectrum in Agora Hills is going to be here and also Dina Kimmel Great. who is uh, the, the owner and the genius behind We Rock the Spectrum that, that's now worldwide global is going to be here. We haven't had her back on the show since they opened their first one in Malaysia. 
Wow. Hello. Um, so that's going to be happening. But on top of all of that, we've got the amazing Bonnie Yates, who's a special education attorney, who's going to be with us answering your questions about legal issues. Mm -hmm. I've got an IEP new, coming up. It's a new segment, and we, everybody's been loving it. Bonnie Good. is just a, a whirlwind of information, so really fabulous. That's all happening tomorrow. We're out of time. But until then, please give your kiddos a hug from me. And yourselves a hug from me. Bye for now. Bye-bye.